More things you never learned in school. Almost 100 years ago, New York City fell victim to a deadly terrorist attack. The terrorist attack that, to this day, no one has been held or prosecuted for or claimed responsibility. On September 16, 1920, the financial district was bustling with stockbrokers and bankers. At 23 Wall Street, known as the greatest banking institution in the world, and as usual at noon, the streets were full of financial investors and bank clerks pushing through the crowded streets on their way to and from lunches, meetings, and commutes. Then, at 12.01, 100 pounds of dynamite exploded in front of the corner. Debris from the blast flew as high as the 34th floor of the J.P. Morgan building, breaking windows and launching pedestrians into the air. A streetcar two blocks away was derailed by the shockwave. Those inside the New York Stock Exchange felt it too. Immediately, they halted trading. Within minutes, Wall Street looked like a war zone. Hundreds of pounds of metal fragments which had been concealed inside the wagon that had been hiding the bomb, filled the streets with shrapnel. Burned bodies littered the sidewalks, and smoke filled the air. Authorities initially believed that the corner had been the target of the attack. After World War I, there were many disgruntled critics who claimed that Morgan had profited off of the war. However, most of the bomb's victims were regular civilians who had been hanging around the streets at the time of the blast. The lofty Morgan executives had been in their high-rise offices, far enough away from the blast to avoid injury. Suspicion immediately fell on communist groups, as the Red Scare was still going strong. However, police soon suspected an Italian anti-government anarchist gang, led by Luigi Galliani a man with extensive explosives knowledge. Just one day after the explosion, Wall Street reopened in typical resilient New York fashion. And today, the damage from the explosion is still visible on the J.P. Morgan building. So what are the myths and misconceptions about Gettysburg? With so much written about the Battle of Gettysburg, it's not surprising that the war's bloodliest battle has become surrounded by delusions and misinformation. Here are seven myths about the Battle of Gettysburg debunked. Myth number one, the Battle of Gettysburg was fought over shoes. There was no mention of shoes having anything to do with the Battle of Gettysburg until 14 years after it happened. In 1877, Confederate General Henry Heth wrote, Hearing that a supply of shoes was to be obtained in Gettysburg, eight miles distant from Cashtown, and greatly needing shoes for my men, I directed General Pettigrew to go to Gettysburg and get those supplies. Problem is, there were no shoe factories anywhere near Gettysburg in 1863. Rather, Rhodes took the armies to Gettysburg. It was difficult to travel through south-central Pennsylvania without passing through Gettysburg. Myth number two. 
The first day was not a large battle. Despite how it's often portrayed in movies and documentaries, the first day of the Battle of Gettysburg involved nearly 50,000 soldiers and was one of the bloodiest days of the Civil War, with 16,000 men killed, wounded, missing, or captured. If the Battle of Gettysburg ended after the first day, it would still rank in the top 20 bloodiest battles of the Civil War, with more casualties than Cold Harbor and almost as many as Fredericksburg. Myth number three. John Wesley Culp was killed on his uncle's property. John Wesley Culp moved south before the Battle of Gettysburg and joined the Virginia ranks. Although his unit fought on Culp's Hill, and he was the only man in the 2nd Virginia Regiment killed at Gettysburg, he did not die on his uncle's property for which Culp's Hill is named. He most likely died on Abraham Spangler's property, or one of the farms far to the east of Culp's Hill. Myth number four, the fight for the Little Round Top was the most important combat of the battle. Historians have long written about the disaster that would befall the Union Army if Little Round Top fell into Confederate hands. But even before the fighting began, General Meade had already ordered more than 10,000 reinforcements to the Union left. Had the Confederates captured Little Round Top, they would have been greatly outnumbered and low on ammunition, with a command structure in complete disarray. With nearly equal numbers, the Confederates almost captured Little Round Top twice during the battle. Why is it difficult to believe that organized and fully supplied Union troops could not retake it with at least triple the number of troops? Myth number five, Pickett's charge was the largest, most decisive, and most consequential charge of the war. Although often portrayed as the greatest charge of the Civil War, it was far from the largest, most decisive, or most consequential. Those horrors would belong on other battlefields at Gaines Mill, Chickamauga, and Petersburg. Myth number six, Abraham Lincoln finished the Gettysburg Address on the back of an envelope on his way to Gettysburg. You've heard that, haven't you? I have. The original copy of the Gettysburg Address on its original stationery is in the possession of the Library of Congress, so we know on what material he wrote it. It is also well documented that Lincoln wrote portions of the address before he left Washington and put the finishing touches on the Gettysburg Address in the home of David Wills at Gettysburg. And number seven, Gettysburg ghost stories are true. With the exception about one story with Iverson's pits near Oak Hill, there were no substantially disseminated ghost stories at Gettysburg for more than a century. The ghosts at Gettysburg phenomenon started in the 1990s, which happens to coincide with people starting to make money on ghost books and tours. Today, there are several scores of books and tours available for visitors, but most, uh, all of these stories are not historical in nature. The Civil War Trust's historian once heard a ghost story told in 1993. 
it was presented as fiction. But it only took three months until it was in a book as fact. By all means, believe what you want to believe. But please know that if water gets on a camera's lens, it's water, not a ghostly orb. If sun shines into a camera lens, it's called sunlight, not an energy spear. There are always two sides to every story. Today you heard the other side of stories you were never taught in school. I'll be back again next Wednesday, God willing. Same time, same station. And God bless America.